Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome back to The Storied Recipe after a week away. Um, One thing that I learned from you guys in December's listener survey is that most of you said you'd be able to listen to more episodes if I backed away from a weekly schedule. So I do hope that last week's break gave you an opportunity to listen to some of the January episodes. And just keep in mind that I will be doing the same thing all year, um, three episodes on and one off so you can catch up a little bit. So this week, we are kicking off February with a really interesting introspective and thought-provoking episode from someone I wish I could sit and talk with for hours in real life, Kiara Pinchina. So Kiara grew up in a Mennonite community in southern Louisiana, but she now lives in Port-au-Prince, Haiti with her Haitian husband. And together, they are questioning how they can live out Kiara's Mennonite values in a city that is currently ruled by gangs that terrorize citizens, merchants, and even police. We also discuss, in more cheerful topics, a really genius little recipe that I actually had to read two or three times just to picture it. So Kiara is teaching us how to make bowls from plantains. Yeah, like these little plantain bowls, which Haitian stuff with things like barbecue chicken, pineapple, or even a really spicy cabbage salad called piklis, a really traditional, well-known Haitian dish. And finally, we talk about the cookbook that Kiara recently collaborated on with nine other women. The cookbook is titled Café Olé, which is the name that Haitians have for marriages, like Kiara's, where one partner is white and the other is Haitian. And she talks about how this project made her really feel a sense of belonging and home. This is a great interview. I'm thrilled to share it with you. Welcome, Kiara. Good evening. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's wonderful to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing great. Oh, I had to the- come up on the roof to get service, but um, <laughs> looks like the internet's going to be good up here. <laughs> So you have to do sometimes in Port-au-Prince. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. How warm is it up there on the roof? Um, I have a blanket, but it's probably, I don't know, maybe 65. <laughs> That's what I would get. It's probably, it's, probably, it's probably actually warmer than that, but I'm not used to the cold anymore. <laughs> yes. Oh, and is it, has the sun set? It's, it's 7.07 p.m. for people listening. Yeah, it's completely Oh, it's completely dark. It gets dark really fast here because there's mountains all around the city. Oh, so. I see. I see. I didn't realize that. Okay. Okay. And I need to ask before we start, do you pronounce your name Kiara? Yes, that's right. I can't believe you got it right first try. Uh, <laughs> well, Not many, that, many people do. <laughs> there's a first mm-hmm. time for everything. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know what how, what, how they spell it on Starbucks cups. <laughs> <laughs> say, say that again. That's say the that nightmare. Again. Say, oh, 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 to have a name like that. that I no say, one... you, don't know what, you don't want to know what they write on Starbucks cups when I say my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah, for sure. So, well, Kiara, the first thing that I want to do is I want 
everyone to stop what they're doing right now. I'm, I'm going to pitch later people subscribing to the podcast, but right now I would love everyone to go to your blog and subscribe because I have been so amazed and enthralled and encouraged by the things that you've written. You sent out a new update today and I like devoured it <laughs> as soon as it came into my inbox. So can you tell everyone the name of your website, the, the URL? Yeah, it's just my name, uh-huh. Kiara Pinchina. Yep. www.kiarapinchina.com. Yep. And I'm I sure will you'll have the, the way to I sure will. I will have that's it. That's the tricky part. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I will have it in the show notes and I would encourage anyone and everyone to just stop by and subscribe and just read the stories that you have to share um, because they're quite remarkable and there's a lot wow. for all of us to learn, I think, from them and from you. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I don't feel like I I write it to teach anyone anything. I mean, it's mm. just experiences. I started it actually as a New Year's resolution one year to keep up with a bunch of childhood friends. And then when I moved here, this when I got a few more followers and stuff. But yeah, you have quite yeah. a few reads just, on your article, several thousand. It's my way to just share what's going on because my life has taken on a different turn than so many of my people I grew up with. So I, I would say, I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. So uh, yeah. A Mennonite in in Haiti married to a Haitian man. I think um, it's my, (laughs) yeah, it's a unit. My brother, my younger brother has always been a faithful listener of the podcast. And he said to me once, my favorite stories are the ones that are least like my own. And um, I think this is going to hit that for a lot of people (laughs) listening. (laughs) So um, let's start with where you are in Haiti. Well, maybe those people, they should go and read the blog. Because, Say that yeah, again? I'm in Port-au-Prince. It's yeah. The, I'm in Port-au-Prince. It's the capital of Haiti. Mm-hmm. So um, really the only very large city here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's shaped like a boot. It's kind, of, it's kind of where the boot starts, where the toe of the boot starts is where Port-au-Prince is. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've only ever heard that. Um, I guess I've heard that analogy for Italy, but never for Haiti. So that's actually helpful to picture. Thank you. Um, so I think one of the things that I love when I read your blog, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's a, there's a delay between, um, when I stop talking and when you start. So if it sounds a little awkward, that's why. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice internet. Yeah. <laughs> It gives us the flavor. So that's good. So what I'll try to do is I'll just try to ask my question and then really let you have the floor and not really try to save all my follow-ups for after. So, um, well, one of the things that I love about your blog is that you really have a super joyful spirit and you seem to enjoy the moments as they come, um, the people around you. And so I wanted to start about by asking you about, um, the best, your favorite celebration that you've ever had there in Haiti. You mentioned it in one of your articles that your husband threw this celebration for you. Yeah, I don't know if it's maybe my favorite, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's definitely a time. Sometimes I can feel like, um, well, it's just, 
you you kind of live feeling like you're different you're you're always the odd one out you know and mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people in America that feel that way all the time it's good for me like I guess as a white person you know that in America I didn't really ever have that experience it's good for me to feel like have that experience of being the odd one out but um mm-hmm. yeah so for my birthday I right then I had a job that was about an hour and a half away and um I didn't think my husband had planned anything special at all I thought you know I thought he was going to take me out to eat actually mm. and we passed the restaurant where I thought we were going and he said it's raining I guess we just have to go home and so I said oh it's fine you know we can do something another day it's not a not a big deal and here in Haiti everyone has gates we all kind of live in little courtyards you might call it with a wall around our house and a gate and so we pulled up outside the gate and then he um took his shirt off and tied it around my head and I still didn't really think anything was going on I thought well maybe he had some surprise that he had his family had put in the house while we were gone or something some gift that he had Mm. and so we got out and we we go in the gate and you know how when there's a whole crowd of people you can almost feel an energy or something or yes yeah you can almost feel an energy even though the people aren't talking and all of a sudden I felt all these eyes on me wow so I'm walking up the little stairs to our our porch there and then they all start singing happy birthday and they sang in English and in French. That's kind of what they always do here. <laughs> and then that's when he took the blindfold off. And I thought, oh, maybe it would just be his family. But it was like probably 50 people. And they had been cooking all afternoon while we were gone. Mm. And tons of just little gifts. And yeah, it was just an evening that made me feel like I I really was starting to have a place here. Because <laughs> mm, it can take a while when you're you're the stranger. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Where did these 50 people come from? Were they neighbors, friends, church members, all across the board? Yeah, pretty much all, all of the above. (laughs) A lot of them were our, our church people that we go to church with. And Susan's family is big here. There's seven kids in the family. Wow. All but two of them live right here. So they were all here, of course, and and they have. It's very common for Haitian families to have other people living with them. Like there's a couple cousins and a and a grandchild living with folks-in-law right now. So they were all here, mm-hmm. and yeah, just. Uh huh. That's wonderful. Well, I'm happy that you had that experience. That's great. Um, so as long as we're talking about parties, this, I actually had to read the recipe that you gave me a couple of times because I didn't understand at first how this worked, but this is genius. And, um, I I've actually never heard of this before. I've seen a lot of plantains. I've read a lot of, thought of a lot of plantain dishes. I've been given a couple by podcast guests and I've made them several times. I've never heard of anything like this plantain dish. So tell, tell everybody about this recipe. Yeah. You, you just, when you fry plantains, you cut them in chunks and then you fry them the first time. And after that, you just press them flat usually and fry them a second time. So they're kind of like thick chips mm-hmm. but pretty thick so instead of the, in these ones you make the slices a little thicker and then you use um just a hand held lime press 
Yeah. So it's kind of shaped like a little bowl. A line press is kind of shaped like a little bowl and, and you press them in there instead of press them flat. And so then you have a little bowl and you can fill it with any kind of little dip or um, if you have a little chicken, that's what we do a lot of times is barbecue chicken. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the shell for a taco salad. You know how sometimes they'll make exactly. Tar- yeah, but you make it out of plantain, which is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So the one question I had, I haven't tried this yet, and I'm 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 a little anxious about it. Just how do you um I guess I'm just concerned about the size. Like, how will I get it the right, like you said, three inch chunks? So do I um do I kind of like stand it up and then flatten it down? You know what I mean? So um, like stand it up. So it's like a cylinder, a cylindrical tube kind of, and then I flatten down that way mm-hmm. and then press it. Is that what I do? Yeah. Well, you, of course you have to fry it the first time first right. because plantains are very hard before right. you fry them. So make sure you get it fried to where it's, it's got a nice hard crust on the outside. Okay. And if it wants to break in, in chunks when you press it, it probably is because you didn't fry it quite long enough. Oh. So if they're fried a good amount of time, then it should be easy to press it. You should be able to just sand it upright in your line press. Uh-huh. And it might stick out the top a little bit. Uh-huh. And then if you just slowly press it down, it, it should just go into a nice bowl shape. Wonderful. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. All right. And so if and I'm... Say if you have a problem with it crumbling, it means you haven't fried it quite long enough. Okay. That's good to know. It's like a brisket in the oven. Like if it's too hard, keep cooking. It's never because you've overcooked it is what yeah, you're trying to say. So. Okay. Okay. That's really good. Well, I mean, you could, you would burn on the outside if you right. overcooked it, but yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the salt and the water, that little mixture that you dip it in after the first frying, is that to also help soften mm-hmm. it or is that just for flavor? Yeah. That's very important for flavor. Okay. Um, you know, French fries, we saw them afterwards or whatever, and mm-hmm. that kind of works. But plantains, they don't really, it just works better to dip it in that salt water before you fry it. Okay. Okay. But you don't want to dip it in the water before you cook it. So you have your little bowl and then you dip your bowl in salt water and fry it. Okay. Just dip it in the water before you fry it the last time. Okay. It won't work if you dip it first and then try to press it. It it makes them Okay. I don't know, it just doesn't work. They crumble or they have a weird texture. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's so great to know. I really can't wait. I'm a little I'm a little um I, I have slight anxiety about this, but <laughs> I'm really no, looking forward to trying it. It looks really fancy, but it's so easy to do. Yeah, it's just genius. I yeah. think it's amazing. I can't wait to yeah. try. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yes. another thing you can do is take a, you can take a whole plantain and just cut it in half and just press it out and use it for a sandwich. There used to be a restaurant here that did that. Really? And like use it for the bread. It looks like a sub sandwich. Wow. Such so, a, yeah, you don't have to, uh-huh. That's what did they yeah, put in? That is fun. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. Did they put, um, barbecue chicken in that as well what would people usually put in that and pineapples and then that spicy cabbage salad like i gave you the recipe for oh wow that sounds amazing yeah that hits all the notes all the notes that's awesome that's great thank you so 
Yeah. So we talked a little bit about these celebrations. And like I said, your, um, your writing is very joyful and you talk a lot about the, the fellowship that you have around you. Like, it feels like you have a lot of depth of relationship from family and, um, you talk about your church a lot, even though, even though you are new, which is amazing to me. Um, but you also, it's, it's difficult. It's, 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 it's almost like you use such a nonchalant tone when you also throw in the fact that there's this really, really, really different side, um, to Haiti right now, just, there's a lot of hunger, poverty, and it especially sounds like fear, um, right now. And, I guess I, I have a couple of questions about that, um, and I'll just give you the floor. One, I, I feel like you've alluded a couple of times in your writing to the fact that this is heightened right now, the fear of gangs, that it's gotten worse. So I'm curious if you can tell me a little bit about the history of that. And then if you don't mind just to share a personal story, like maybe the one that happened to your brother-in-law, just so those of us listening can understand that this is not a... Um, this isn't like a well you even said in the in the story you sent out today you said Americans really wouldn't understand um kind of how constant this is and how intense it is the violence that you're that you're surrounded by really all the time so tell us a little bit about that yeah so i i was in Haiti in 2015 i i volunteered here in an orphanage for a year and this country has completely changed since then. You know, then we could, we girls, all by ourselves, we took public transportation and stuff, and it, it wasn't a problem. But in the last few years, the gang activity has gotten worse. And that's like a really long story. I don't think I have, and I don't have the knowledge base to go into all of that. But especially since now the president of Haiti was assassinated last year, and, um, the country politically is not stable enough to hold another election. So it doesn't really, we, for all practical purpose, Haiti doesn't really even have a, a government right now. There's a prime minister, but um, we that are living here would basically feel like the country's more run, controlled by the gangs than anything else. So that's kind of the situation of the country. There's just places where, and it's a town where the police are even afraid to go and stuff. And yeah, so you asked about what happened to my brother-in-law. Um, some of these things are hard to describe just in a, a few words like this. But in Haiti, there's a form of public transportation called a top top. Mm. Um, so it's like a little Isuzu or Toyota pickup. And they, they weld a frame. Mm. And then they put the camper shell on top of that. Uh-huh. And they have benches. So you can haul, actually, believe it or not, 14 people in the back of those little pickups. Wow. Seven on each is what they consider a full load. Wow. And so my husband had, we basically put two vehicles together. He had an old old motor that he got from a relative and we, um, we bought another body for it and made mm-hmm. a top top out of it. And he would drive in the evenings and um, sometimes loan it to um, family members. How it works is they just give you a set amount of money at the end of the day. And then theirs is, they can keep the rest of the money. So it's a a good way. 
we felt like we could kind of help his family out with that a little bit. And that's what we did that. Now, one day, his little brother, it's about 22, he needed some money for something. So he said, I'll just take the top top out for the, for the evening, you know? Mm. And, um, so yeah, about, it was probably about dusk. It's pretty dangerous after dark here in Haiti. Everyone pretty one pretty much wants to be in when the sun goes down but it wasn't very late it wasn't like he was doing anything you know staying out too late that was mm. wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um there was two people got on this is very common this is a gang's way of of carjacking two people got on and they had guns but obviously the passengers they had them concealed so the rest of the passengers didn't see and um how it works is when you want to get off then you just tap the side of the vehicle or whatever. That's why they call them top tops, I guess. Oh, got it. Okay. The guy lets the driver pulls over and lets you off. So these guys just signal that they wanted to be let off. And one came to the driver's side, one came to the passenger side. And of course, then the guns came out and Mm. they got in and I think knocked his head into the dash a bit and, they said they were just going to kill him. They were yelling and threatening and stuff to, to just go ahead and they said they were just going to take him somewhere and shoot him. But I don't know if it was all bluff or I guess it was it was God too mm. that <laughs> saved him. But mm-hmm. they went a little ways down the road and then they're like, get out. And so there was nothing he could do. He just got out and ran basically. Mm. and the sad part was he was right by a little police station kind of a little outpost there and he ran up to the policeman with his arms in the air and said those those guys just took my vehicle and they just said we can't do anything for you Mm. and he walked I think it took him about two hours to get back to our house we were really worried because we couldn't of course they took his his, they stole his phone too and so we couldn't get a hold of him Mm. and we're really worried. And then obviously when he came in on foot, we knew exactly what had happened because it's very Mm. common, but Mm. anyway, yeah, that's, Mm. it's not, not just us that it's happened to. It's a very common occurrence here and you just Mm. don't have the police support, you know, to, or insurance to on your vehicles, you know, it's just basically you you suck it up because there's nothing you can do. Right. Kiara, how is it daily that you personally feel afraid for yourself or for your family? Is it not? Do you do you do you just learn to put the anger somewhere else? You don't feel as afraid. How how do you experience that? How do you cope with that? For a while after that, I did feel afraid. The next time we had to, uh, we had a big gas crisis right after that. the The whole country was. Well, it was part of the, the gangs, too. They they started kidnapping gas trucks. And so then the, the gas stayed all at the port and didn't get transported to the gas stations because all the drivers were afraid. But so then we were going places on motorcycle. And I, I saw, you know, every time any man would have something weird in his hand or something, I would see a gun and stuff like that. But I don't know. You... It's kind of crazy. You can't, I don't think humans can possibly just live in 
or maybe my personality, I've just never been a fearful person, but I can't live in fear 24 hours a day, you know, and most of the time I just, you know, can forget about it and Hmm. do life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's crazy. It will come up at the, all of a sudden something, you'll see something. And I, I've never really experienced anything like it in, in United States. I know, you know, I had a very privileged upbringing in a small town or whatever. Mm. I'm sure other Americans wouldn't have that same experience, but mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it's been something to get used to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And you write about, um, there, there was one thing I read, I kind of started binging on your blog last Friday afternoon. (laughs) And I finally said, okay, I've got 15 minutes left to write these questions. I need to stop reading and start writing, which is why, you know, I I'm hoping that this episode is just an introduction to you and that people can get to know you a little bit a little bit more, um, through your writing the way that I did. And I personally wish I could have like a six hour conversation and personally get to know you better. I I think mm, I I would love that, but you had this poem that was really profound about it, it kind of went back to something you just said, which is that a human just can't at some level live with a, with a sense of fear that was as heightened, you know, perhaps as it was that night. And you write about that idea of being overwhelmed, but slightly differently, which is just being overwhelmed by the level of need and just basic hunger that you and poverty that you are kind of surrounded by all the time, just thirst, just not even access to, you know, water. And um, so again, I have, I have two questions and I'll give you the floor because again, it's hard for us to go back and forth with delay. But my first question is, has that also gotten worse because of this gang activity, you know, that's, that's, it's kind of at a height at a peak right now. And then also, um, well, I'll just ask that. And then I will ask the next question. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, it definitely has the, the fact of people just not having enough to eat. I've, I've seen it in our, in our church family. And again, that would be, I would say, Compared with some, it would be a, a group of relatively privileged people. Mm. Well, compared with some, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how you what, how to describe if some or how to say if someone is privileged or not. That seems kind of um, relative, but yes, yeah, and even just and multifaceted. Right Perhaps you could be privileged. Thing, so, yeah, and I think our church family would be privileged because we have a close knit. Um, group of people that will help if Mm. if they are in problems that's Mm. probably the biggest thing Mm. but just a little there's there's like little merchants that will sell peanuts like just little handfuls of peanuts and little bags and the gangs at christmas time they taxed every single merchant in the market they taxed them well it would have been about five dollars american for their christmas party you know and and i don't know some of those people that are just barely selling something little tiny like that. I don't know if they would even make it in a day. And it's so very common right now. The the gangs, they just can ask money from, from anyone. And so that's made it a lot harder. Mm. And as far as gas, every, everything goes up because we've, we've had a gas shortage. All the prices go up for everything. So I would say, yeah, in the last year, it's gotten harder for most people in Fiji okay. to live. Mm-hmm. So 
because of that, you write a lot about this idea of generosity and um, how it looks very different to be generous in Haiti versus how it looks to be generous in America. Um, you know, I think about the parable of the widow um, giving all that she had, which may be so much less than all of the excess that um, many of us li listening to this have. So can you tell me about this um, the saying? You said there's a saying that you you know it mostly in Creole um, about giving and, and not looking back. And uh, can you tell me can you share that saying with us and then tell me what it means to you and to your husband and how your view of generosity has changed since you've moved to Haiti? Yeah. The saying that you're talking about, they say, uh, so that means do good without looking back. And it's actually, I think it's a Bible verse in English. It's, it's that Bible verse that says, cast your bread. Mm, upon the waters, upon the waters. I can't think of it in English mm. but um yeah so you hear that a lot and I think as a as Haitians maybe differ from Americans in the fact that they're not as independent um countries that have more wealth tend to put a lot of value on independence and you know like I would have been taught that you know like to try to do everything for yourself, basically. I mean, <laughs> like asking for help is kind of not frowned upon if you really need it, but it's a little bit embarrassing or whatever. And, and Haitians are so much, um, they live a lot more as a community or in my experience, anyway, the families just know that they're going to have to help each other out. And, you know, friends, you know, money gets passed around a lot, <laughs> mm -hmm. little bits of money and gifts and, and stuff more than I would have been used to growing up. And so, yeah, my husband and I were discussing that verse one time and talking about giving too much and stuff. And, and he will say that a lot to me. Um, even just a simple thing, like if you say you're going to do something for someone, like, I don't know, make food for a party or, um, I don't know, just any, even any favor, not necessarily mm -hmm. money. One time I remember I was making a meal for someone and, and I started stressing out about it that I didn't have enough or, or whatever. And, and he just said, you're ruining the gift because you already decided you were going to give that, you know, you already decided you were going to do that favor for someone. You don't need to stress if they're going to like it, if it's good enough, if it's enough, you know, you don't need to stress about your schedule because you decided it. If, if you're going to give, you need to give without looking back and without second guessing yourself basically. Mm. And so I think that's to me, I've, I guess I've really learned a lot about being wholehearted and giving and, and also it takes a lot of faith. Mm. I know I've seen my husband give away the last money we have in the house. And the first time I was, you know, very nervous about that, but I think that that first time we found some money that we didn't know we had in our, in the console of our car or something the next day when we needed a little bit of money mm. and it all worked out. And, and that's what my husband says. He says, if you have $50 and, and you give away $10, maybe that's not a lot if, but if you regret it later, then you gave too much, but mm. you could also have $50 and you could give it to 30, $30 away to someone. Um, and if you really have faith and you look forward, you don't regret that gift. It wasn't too much. And 
you'll find a way to meet your own needs. Mm. You write about that happening a lot, that that's almost become, it's, mm, I guess it's still always surprising, but well, I guess, yeah, let's put it this way. Tell me about how that has grown your faith, seeing yourself and others do that. Give, give not just generously, but sacrificially to the point that you, you don't have money left in the house. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, you said it, it could be normal to me. It's not normal Mm -hmm. yet. Like it's something that still just amazes me every time Mm. I do have an experience like that, or I see someone, or I hear someone else tell it of, yeah, like I said, giving the last money they had in the house or just making another sacrifice like that and having it all work out. It, I think it'll take quite a few years for that not to blow my mind. <laughs> maybe it's not, maybe it's not supposed to become more normal. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you think that, I mean, I'm talking about America because I live in America, but there's a lot of listeners across the world that are in developed countries yeah in developed countries are 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 wealthy by um certainly the standards of what you guys are bearing up under right now with all that gang activity do you think there's a lesson for us in that saying um and what would that be hey again this will be just a really quick interlude i know that you like me feel that these stories really hold a lot of value for a wide audience So I would like to ask you to do one of three things to help me share this podcast with more people. First, please make sure to subscribe right now, either in the player that you're listening to or in to my newsletter. And you can do that, subscribe to my newsletter, just by scrolling to the bottom of the show notes, you'll see a link right there. Second, you can leave a five-star review. There are lots of ways to do this, and they're a little bit dependent on the device and player that you're using, which can be confusing. So to make it super easy, again, you can scroll right down to the bottom of the show notes, find the link that says leave a review, and there's a handy little tool there that will just figure out what app you're using, what device you're on, and the best way for you to leave a review. So all you'll have to do is hit five stars and leave a really positive review, please. Finally... If you'd like to support the podcast financially and even uh, emotionally, I guess you could say, you can actually shop the Storied Recipe print shop. That is where I sell prints that use my camera and extraordinary light to celebrate just the beautiful, abundant gifts of nature and to tell my guest story. So not only is this a good way to support the podcast financially, But frankly, it also just means a lot to me every time someone connects with my art and my guest stories and they want to own that, own a piece of that, have it in their home or share it with others. So those are three ways you can support the podcast, help it to grow, help these stories go out to a wider audience. Every single one means so much to me personally because I devote so much um, time and passion into this project and I'd love to see it grow. I love to see it every time it does grow. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And now back to Kiara. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think it's giving is always about money. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know my, my husband's 
got onto me different times when it's not something that's money. It's just your time or just maybe a project that you said you would help with or something that you offered yourself. Like it was a gift, you know, I don't know if you're volunteering at school, you know, or if you say you make something, a cake for someone's birthday party, like all that stuff. If you, if you do it and then you regret it or you stress out about your schedule, I think all of it's the same thing. You're just, you know, you, you have to either, you have to be okay with saying no, because mm-hmm. sometimes you can't always give, but if you say yes, then you have to say yes with a whole heart. I think that's the lesson for me that, that I would like to mm. get better at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do if you're halfway through your giving, <laughs> you volunteered something and you're four weeks in <laughs> and you're looking back, how do you, how do you turn your eyes back around again? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's the rub. <laughs> that's when you, you talk to your mom back in the United States and you don't breathe a word to, to your husband about it. Cause <laughs> because <laughs> I think there's a there is a, a place for venting yet <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think yeah I think that that is man there's a lot of wisdom in there too right because um yeah you do it because you have a support system that's the point you don't do it because it's easy you do it yeah. and it takes a support system to do it and you just make a decision and you do it you just keep giving um Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, well, you brought up your mom, so let's do this because (laughs) not only is, is this life that you're living right now? Um, I think, you know, um, it's new. It's, it's out of our unexpected. It was unexpected. Yeah, (laughs) it was unexpected. Okay. But, but likewise, I think your childhood was maybe not as typical. Um, like it wasn't the suburban, um, soccer mom, kid childhood either. Um, you grew up Mennonite. So my question is, what does it mean to be Mennonite? Is that a culture? Is it a religion? It's a little bit like of of both. And what does a typical Mennonite community and family look like and how much, yeah, we'll stop there. And then I'll go with the next question, set of questions. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, all I can just do is share my kind of my experience because of course it, a typical I don't know I don't want to generalize that much and say that my experience exactly was typical because yeah um I grew up in South Louisiana oh, that's okay. where my family is and it's just a little town right by the military base Fort Polk so there's a lot of the um I would say most Mennonite families they would be have small businesses. My dad is actually an accountant. So, um, but he does work for many small businesses. Mm. It's not like a big corporation. He has a few employees and they, they do payroll for a lot of loggers in the area and stuff like that. So I guess that, that is probably typical of Mennonites to live. We had a, a, a congregation of a couple hundred people, um, living in a small town. Mm-hmm. And we also, our branch, I guess, I don't know if I'll call it branch. There's a lot of different types of Mennonites mm. to our, my church is called the Church of God in Christ Mennonite. And we, we have our own private school. So I would have gone to school in a, in a very small school that went to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 
it's probably about 80 students. So, wow. you know, it's a very close community. That would be the whole school. So it was eight in my grade, you know, and a lot of, it's, it's just a very, I would say the lifestyle is very simple and secure. I felt very secure growing mm. up as a child. They, mm-hmm. Very, mm-hmm. a very secure home with parents that, um, that loved each other and put their family first. Mm. Um, the same thing with going to school. I, I feel like a lot of the bullying and stuff and a lot of that stuff that goes on, we kind of get to escape that just because I actually taught in a midnight school later after mm. when I was, before I was married, I taught for three years and um, even the teachers just have a very great support system because um, coming from similar, the children would come from, everyone kind of has similar values. And so um, it's very easy to get on the same page with the parents of your students. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, as far as a lot of the bullying and, and the fear and the angst that I feel like teenagers would go through in their high school years and stuff like that. I feel like mm. <laughs> I had volleyball games and um, mm-hmm. evenings of singing with my friends. And um, I just, I really appreciate my, my childhood. Mm. And yes, if it was a religion or a culture, um, I would say it's a religion. It's definitely, you know, our faith is, um, the base of sometimes it can get to be a culture, mm. <laughs> but the faith is it's faith based. Mm-hmm. That, that's the, the part that's culture, that's not really something that's as important to us. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the basis of it is basically trying to live what the Bible says. I think that's mm. would be our goal is to really interpret the Bible in a practical way that every day mm. we're living what the Bible says. Hmm. Hmm. And some of that might to others, or it might kind of turn into a culture, but that's not the, that's not really the point. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. And I think that I really want to um, receive what you're saying because, um, you know, I think we can look at Haiti with like some, maybe just like what we've seen in the media or the way that it's been presented to us. And I think the same thing with Mennonite culture or a tight-knit religious community, um, I think all of the media out there would present it as an oppressive, restrictive thing that constantly had, um, you know, undertones of hypocrisy and rebellion. And I think it's really important for us to just take your story as it is, which is that was not your experience at all. No, it's, it's not my experience at all and I would say I mean for most you know any religion can have hypocrisy I'm not saying that that Mm -hmm. never happens of course and everyone has times of rebellion you know but um I would say my church I I don't know what I would do without it and Mm. and most most people are are very wholehearted um people that are they're honestly their goal is to live the Bible, you know, mm. and to show love to other people and, and not hate and, and all of that, you know, it's, mm. I don't feel like I was oppressed or definitely too, that I was forced to choose to mm. follow my parents' religion. It, you know, everyone, 
that's definitely stressed in our faith that everyone needs to make their own personal choice. It's mm. not, you can't go off of what your parents believe or do wow. something because it's tradition or culture. It's, it needs to be a personal choice that you actually feel in your heart mm. or else you can't last. Mm. Mm. When you say live the Bible, what does that mean to you? I would say there's some things in the Bible that everyone kind of thinks is a good idea. Like don't mm. kill, don't steal mm. all that. So, mm. Everybody thinks that's a good idea, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that are harder. Like, you know, when it says not to love the world and, and the things that are in the world to really have your focus instead of on just, I don't know, making money or mm. be having a successful life to really have your focus on God. Mm. Um, that's something that's a little harder and that's harder to interpret and really find out what that means. Hmm. You know? hmm. And when it says to love your enemies, stuff like that, like in this country full of gangs, how are these people supposed to live in a peaceful way? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's yeah. things in the Bible that are hard to actually really in a practical way live out. And that's, I would feel like my faith, that's what we want to do is, is live out the Bible, the hard parts and the easy parts. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I listen to you, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering two things. Um, one, you know, you kind of mentioned that you lived in this like little sub community in a community, like your congregation was your community, was your school and all of that. And, um, so I'm wondering if you, as a child ever sensed or felt that you were, I guess, um, out of step with or a culture apart from mainstream American culture? Is that something that you felt as a child or, or not at all? And if so, did that help with being a, a um, you know, someone who's, who's out of step with, with Haitian culture, who, you know, obviously didn't grow up there, you're, you're white, um, all of these things. And also, sorry for such a long question, but I, I, you know, with the delay also though, um, it, when I read your writing, it sounds like the people that you're around in Haiti share many of the same values, oddly enough, as this Mennonite culture that you grew up, grew up with. And I'm wondering if that also like helped, if that was a, almost like you found your same people or yeah, I guess I'm just wondering about this whole, yeah. Talk to me about that. (laughs) Talk to me about it. It's a wide open question. Okay. I hope I can remember all of it. Yeah. (laughs) Talked about, um, like the sense of feeling like you didn't fit in with the community around you. Um, I would say where I come from, it's, you know, Louisiana's in the Bible Belt, so everybody's mm. going to church and they're saying "Bless your heart" and they're they're talking <laughs> about pray for us. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> so it, I didn't feel. I don't know. I think it would be different to grow up in maybe a different area of mm. the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. But it was a small town culture, and I mean, a small town community. And like, my dad's an accountant, so he has um, clients. You know, I grew up. I worked for him for a while and would go mm-hmm. there and it wasn't like I was just isolated, yeah. you know, from the community as a whole. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we, uh, as ladies, we wear dresses and we wear a head covering. Mm-hmm. And so I, from little on up, you know, I probably saw people, maybe they, they stared at my mom. I don't know. 
but people in, in our town were used to it, you know? And so mm. you didn't feel it. It wasn't really, something you were always I, I, aware I of. Say, I can't really say I was really experienced that feeling mm. that I was, didn't belong or whatever. Mm. And, um, but you said about the people here, definitely it's the same values. It's, it's actually like the man I married is a member of the same church mm. and he, he grew up the, the Mennonite church has been in Haiti for a couple of generations. Like he was raised in the same, with the same church values as I was, he was raised in the same church. His, his mom and dad are Mennonites also. So, wow. Definitely. I did not I know there were Mennonites in Haiti. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I could have come here with, without that, having that in common, you know, because mm. it's, I go to church and it's like going to church in U.S. There's surface differences. One thing is everyone says, you know, the language and I, just the, the way people greet each other, things like that. Very differences that are very surface. Yeah. But it's the same, the, the preaching that you hear and the, the singing together and stuff like that. That's, that's all the same as what I grew up with. So <laughs> That's been very helpful. I don't think I could have just come here without that to yeah. tie me to these people here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. I see. So, okay. Well, let's talk talk now about that. About going there. How how did this happen? This transition. Tell me. Tell me your love story. <laughs> Walk me through the whole <laughs> thing. And was it ever a question of whether you would live there or in Louisiana or? somewhere else in the world. Um, tell me about that. So I, I came to Haiti to volunteer at an orphanage in 2015. I spent the year here. Um, and that was because my siblings are actually adopted from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so we lived in Mexico for a little while during my growing up years while the adoption paperwork was going through. That was the way my parents chose to do it. They we just rented a house there so they could get the paperwork through mm-hmm. and being at the orphanage there really gave me, um, I wanted to volunteer some time, you know, as a single girl and our church had had an orphanage here and that's, I put my name in to go and I stayed for a year. And, um, during that time I didn't, I, I saw Eliezer at, my husband's name is Eliezer. Yeah. <laughs> I probably have called him Zeze. And sometimes when I'm referring to him, that's his nickname. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I got that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I saw I saw him a few times, you know, at different youth parties and stuff like that, at social gatherings. But I didn't live in the same town with him. I lived in another town about an hour from Port-au-Prince. Mm. Until um, there was another Mennonite American family living there. Mm-hmm. in the same town as, as where the orphanage was. So we were obviously, we did a lot with them and they had Eliezer's family over for Sunday lunch one time. And um, kind of like up until that point, the, the single guys in Haiti was just like, they were either really awkward or they just really flirted. Like mm. I didn't really feel a very common ground with a lot of them. Mm. But this guy was, he was really nice, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember in the evening, I just really wished I had gotten to know him sooner. Mm. And I didn't just fall in love with him then. And my time in Haiti was about over. 
Wow. But I think he, he got my number somehow. We, we don't know how that happened. How he even got my number. Cause I don't remember him asking for it, but, um, we kind of kept in touch after I went home, but it was several years. It was probably, it was probably four years in between. Wow. And one Christmas, <laughs> he texted me Merry Christmas, but he spelled it like <laughs> M-A-R-R-Y, Merry Christmas. So of course I laughed. I was like, oh, he missed, he messed up with his English spelling or whatever. And, and I corrected him and and he's like, oh, I've been thinking about you a lot lately. And there was just something intense about that message. I was like, a lot. Like, what is wow. this person? Mean? And I, I talked to my mom and I was like, you know, basically, is he trying to, what's he trying to say? And should I just block his number? <laughs> <laughs> I'll either marry him or block him. One or the other. <laughs> and I kind of just wanted her to say to block it like you know because I was like this is just bizarre yeah but, <laughs> and there was I had some friends that had gotten married and into Haitian men too that was and we had been good friends with the there was a another a couple of couples like that that were Haitian and American um that I was friends with while we were in Haiti and I think I talked to one of those girls too and I found out that, yes, he was serious. Like, he had been thinking about me a lot. Like, he really was trying to go somewhere with that. <laughs> wow. And I was teaching school at the time. And so I said, you know, it's been very a very long time since we've seen each other. And I need to come back. And I need to get reacquainted with Haiti. I had, I had taken a few trips back to Haiti to visit. But it had been a couple of years. And... So I came back for a church conference and he has, he actually has a sister that's married to a guy from Kansas. And we went to the church conference together and kind of tried to hang out without drawing too much attention to this hall. And, <laughs> and I went, because it's so much gossip, you know, and especially Mennonites, oh, they're the best at gossiping. They, <laughs> and so then we went up in the mountains where his brother he, he's got a brother-in-law that's an American and that married his sister and we went up there and and spent a day together at their house and stuff and after that it was it was about a year before we were engaged and most of it was just you know long distance we text and stuff a lot and you went back home to Louisiana well I wasn't in Louisiana I was teaching in Missouri I was teaching oh. school at that point okay and yeah I by the time like I think I really truly fell in love with him pretty hard that that week that we spent together wow. <laughs> when I came back from the church conference and I knew then that I was going to marry him like I you know but it took a while to work all the details out he didn't have a steady job at that point and and we got engaged in December, uh, January of 2020 <laughs> so you know where this is heading we were gonna have our wedding May in May of 2020 and oh. the border shut down <laughs> oh. so I spent the day that was on my wedding invitations I spent it crying in my hammock in my mom's backyard <laughs> oh Kiara <laughs> it was it was terrible and the people that were coming for my wedding, they didn't get to come. It was just my parents that came. The rest of the people at my wedding were, were strangers to me at that point. But and did you get, did you get married in the U.S. or in Haiti? 
we got married in Haiti in July. Yeah. Oh, how did you get there? When did it open up, May? I got there like on one of the first flights. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, I think it was the first the first week of July that it opened up and and we got married like a few days after I got to Haiti. <laughs> wow. Wow. And was that always, it, 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 I mean, was it even a debate? Are, are we going to live here? Are we going to live there? Or you just always knew that was where you would live? Well, um, there's, there's a way that U.S. US does a fiancé visa program. So you can sponsor a fiancé to the U.S. Um, but it takes quite a while. Mm. and we were pretty much wanting to get married. We were pretty much wanting to be together by yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. And I also didn't really, we we did think about that, but I just, in my heart, I was not comfortable with um, getting married and having my husband not knowing anything about the country. Like mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to, would have took a while for him to get a driver's license and to be able to work and all that. And we thought it would be better. It would start our marriage off better if we started where he was comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and I had already spent some time in Haiti. So right. I was somewhat comfortable with this country already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And who knows what the future, like our, our end goal, you know, is to be, he doesn't, he doesn't have any kind of a visa. Like he can't come to us right now. It's, it's actually very hard to get a tourist visa for a, for a Haitian unless okay. you have, um, yeah, pretty special circumstances and, okay. and a residence, the residency thing it takes to sponsor your spouse to, to get to the U S it takes a couple years to go through that program. Wow. So, um, our goal is to eventually, you know, be able to travel at least, and to kind of have a life both places if we can. So you can't even. Kind of a goal, but. Okay. So you could, like, if you wanted to go see your family for Christmas, yeah. you, you could do that because you don't need a visa to do that. But you couldn't go stay for six months if, you know, you're. No, my husband can't come to the U.S. He can't go to the U.S. at all. Not, like, not even just with a passport? Died, uh-uh. But <laughs> why? He couldn't go to the funeral. Why? Why do you need? Like, I don't need a visa to go to Haiti. I mean, no, to visit. Don't. It's 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 very hard for a Haitian to get a visa to come to U.S. Most right. of them, most of them get refused because, um. Well, it's just I don't know. Right. I don't want to talk about immigration politics in the U.S., but. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, just to go visit a country, you don't need a visa. Yeah, or... I mean, it's just the, the, okay. the okay. thought is that. If they, they let you in, you're going to find a way. Stay their visa. Okay. That's the and you have to have a good enough case to combat that belief, too. Oh. Plus, also, the embassy is shut down for COVID. And they also, anytime there's. um gang activity in the area they shut down for two weeks and stuff so okay I even see. applications if you applied for a tourist visa it would take a long time right now for it to get i don't actually think they're accepting new applications at all right now for a tourist visa okay okay <laughs> so okay it's, wow. it's complicated but 
Yeah. It, it will happen. It will happen in the end and we'll be able to yeah. travel, you know, mm-hmm. and have a life both places. I, I feel confident that that will yeah. happen someday for us. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about happier things in the meantime. And I, yeah. I, know, I know our hour is almost up. So I will, I will end with this, which is, um, tell me, was it hard to learn to cook in Haiti? Is it hard to learn to cook in Haiti? And tell me about the cookbook that it's it's not just your cookbook. It's like a communal cookbook. So tell me about all of this. Right. Um, so yes, it was disastrous. I, I got a <laughs> teaching here. Like we got married in July and I started teaching a full-time job teaching about six weeks later. Mm. And it was absolutely disastrous <laughs> because I didn't know anything. Like it's just, if you if you have the budget of what, like I would say I have a, probably a, a, a higher budget for buying things than, than the average lady mm. here, but mm-hmm. still not like, not like I did when I was volunteering at that orphanage. So if mm-hmm. you want to go to a grocery store and just buy like stock up on things that you wouldn't think twice about buying in us, you know, it's all of it is imported and so anything imported is double or triple the price that you would used to be used to paying so wow you really have to learn to cook from what's in the open market wow yeah so what kind of thing is in the open market a lot of fruits and vegetables um Mm -hmm. patients are definitely eat rice every day okay and ground there's a ground corn too that's really good with their Mm. um and there's a lot of things that you American food that I can make here I mean basically anything bread is really easy to make you know so (laughs) you can make sandwiches and pizza and stuff like that if you're willing to skip on cheese and and tacos (laughs) (laughs) but um it's a it's a whole different thing learning learning how to do it yeah and it didn't I thought I knew how to cook and then I I had to relearn yeah yeah so this this cookbook, I, I did it with, I think it's about 10 of us. I can't remember now for sure. Cause it was one girl that didn't actually end up participating, but it's all of us. We're, we're Mennonite girls that either, well, like my sister-in-law, she's a Haitian girl that married a, an American man. They're living in Kansas right now. Mm. So it's some, some Haitian girls that are living in us and, and then American girls that have married Haitian guys. And so that's the name of the cookbook, Cafe Ole. It's, um, you know, Cafe Ole means coffee with milk. And so <laughs> in Port-au-Prince, it's kind of a, a slang or whatever for a mixed race couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is <laughs> not your coffee. term. This is their term. Yeah, it's their term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why, we, that's why we named the cookbook that. And yeah, it's, so it's, we have Haitian food, a lot of the traditional Haitian dishes and then American food, simple American recipes that you could make anywhere in the world. And mm-hmm. it was just, we did it for a, a fun project to kind of like, I got to know those girls really good and they're all my, my good friends now. That's wonderful. It's, it's kind of like the only group of people that truly understand um, what my day-to-day life is like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And are you still teaching Kiara? No, I'm not. Okay. I it was a mission school and that's their school is actually shut down now. A lot of the the Americans have left this country <laughs> for sa- for safety reasons. Yeah, they have. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. do you feel abandoned? Uh 
I just don't think about it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So back to your cookbook, are there stories in it as well? Uh huh. There's some stories. Wonderful. Um, it's kind of a lot of the foods we try to, you know, describe the restaurants where you would get the foods. A lot of it's more descriptions of the country. Oh, that's great. Stories. Yeah, yeah, that's great. No, that's oh. wonderful. Yeah, it's a little bit more of like immersive. Snapshots. snapshots into, you know, where these foods would be found and. Um, yeah, it's a deeper education. Yeah, yeah. There's like we have a party section, so it talks about Haitian parties and and kind of gives you the vibes behind the food. That's yeah. what we tried to do anyway. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I definitely will be continuing to follow along and look forward to it, and really hope that we stay in touch. You know, over social media and email, and um, yeah. Again, tell everyone where to find you because I'd I'd love for them to follow along with you as well. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to tell you too when we were putting together the cookbook. I that's when I found your podcast. It was somewhere around then, really? and I listened to it like the whole time I was editing the cookbook. I think I listened to about every episode that's on there. That's incredible. That <laughs> means helped, so much you to me. me with the cookbook. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, it's it's funny. You may have found me because I interviewed um, a Haitian American who wrote. Um, mm-hmm. That's how you found me. I don't remember for sure. Okay. But I think well, it was before that. I think I found you before that. I don't I don't remember how. I really don't. Oh, okay. Well, I was probably looking at food photography stuff. Maybe that, oh, that's what I found you. Oh, okay. Maybe so. Yeah. She just she just emailed today and said, could I write um like a little blur, like, like her cook, her, her book is getting printed to hard copy. And, um, so she wanted me to write a review for the front of it, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's been a real Haitian. She gave me a soup. Um, it's Uh yeah. soup. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Oh, really? (laughs) You can imagine. Yeah. Oh, well, this is an awesome, this is super fun. I'm actually really excited to do this with my kids. I think, yeah, it's just a fun, it's just a fun recipe, which I don't get a lot of. So yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, yeah. So tell everyone again, where to find you and they can, they can get their cook, um, buy your cookbook. You actually offer graphic design services and they can read your blog as well. So tell everyone where that is. My website is Um, I'm not on Facebook a lot. I, I try, I'm trying to do better with Instagram. <laughs> you can find me there. It's um, Kiara underscore Pinchina. Okay. Yeah. And I'm on Pinterest too, but I, I update my blog about every week. I, social media is not my strong point, but yep. if you send me a, <laughs> yeah, if you send me a message or an email or, DM me on, on Instagram. I'll, I'll definitely reply to that. Yeah. You're putting your time into the right thing. You really are. You, you definitely <laughs> are. I really endorse <laughs> the way that you're choosing your time. <laughs> so good for you. So Kiara, it was really a gift to talk to you. Take care. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you. Oh, Bye. thank you. Bye-bye. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Kiara. I do hope you'll consider subscribing to her blog. The links are right there in the show notes. Thanks again to Kiara. Thank you again for listening and have a great week, my friends.